Good morning, everybody. We welcome everybody to come on inside and find uh, a place. Please stand with us as we begin our worship experience this morning. It is good to have you here. Thank you for being here in-house with us. We, we also want to thank you if you have logged on and maybe you're watching live in our live streams on Facebook or YouTube or maybe watching this video at some point. Thank you for clicking this link. We are about to experience a great worship time with God. We're just about to kick it off, and over the next hour or so, we're going to start with singing some songs. And if you don't know or not familiar with the songs that we sing, the words are going to be on the screen, and the words will be scrolling on the live stream as well. So during this time, we encourage you, enjoy the, the music and join us in worshiping God. Uh, you, can, you can sit, you can stand, you can clap your hands, you can, if you don't have much rhythm like me, you can just kind of uh, try to, you know, do this, because this is where you live, right here. Anybody? All right. So, but we encourage you, lift your voice and sing. Uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord. This is one of the reasons that we gather for worship like this. Also, a little bit later in the service, we're going we're gonna to have prayer time. We're going we're gonna to worship by giving an offering. We're going to hear an awesome message from the Scripture, from the book of Romans. But what we do here in this, in this next hour or so and all throughout the week as a church, it all points to one thing. There's one reason why we exist as a church, and it's to help people find their way back to God and grow in that relationship. So that's the room you've walked into. That's the link that you've clicked today. So let's enjoy this time of worshiping together. We're about to start with a song that talks about the fact that the battles that we fight in our lives, how many of us can relate to having battles going on in our life? Stuff that we're going through that feels like a battle. And the song we're about to sing reminds us that the battles we're going through really belong to the Lord. That's good news, isn't it? The battle belongs to the Lord. We're not intended to do it on our own or figure it out on our own, but we fight our battles on our knees in prayer and raising our hands in worship to Him. So let's do it. You guys ready to get started? You get ready to enjoy worshiping and hearing from God today? Let's go for it. Stephen, take us there. The battle belongs to the Lord. Sing through the night 
in the world when we are looking towards you because you change everything. You've broken our chains. You set us free from the bondage that we had to sin and death, Lord, and we thank you so much that our hope is found in your name and that we can live our lives in that hope, knowing that one day we will get to be in your presence and worship you forever, Lord. We thank you so much. We thank you for this morning that we can come together and worship you together as one voice. We are waiting with anticipation for what you have to say to us today. Our hearts are open to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Once again, we're so happy y'all are here. Y'all can have a seat. We got some announcements for you, so check out the screen real quick. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Church on the Trail. Whatever service you have chosen to be at today or whether you're watching online, we are so excited that you chose to spend your Sunday morning here with us. I have some exciting announcements, so listen closely. Before the joy of Easter, there was the darkness of the cross. Just as 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So join us April 2nd at 6 p.m. as we remember and reflect on the sacrifice our Savior made for us. Our next Life Track classes will be on April 11th, 18th, and 25th, right after our second service. LifeTrack is our three-week class to become a member here at Church on the Trail. This is by registration only, and you can register for the April classes at our church website backslash events page. If you have any questions about anything coming up, we now have an insert inside of our worship guide with all of our events. You can also check out our Welcome Center, church website, or Faith Life. Again, we thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you have a great day and an even greater week. Thank you, Autumn. Welcome again, everyone. We At this time in our service, we take a, a quick pause, and we shift our worship to worshiping by receiving an offering. And so we, we believe that giving of tithes and offerings is not like a ritual or something we do under pressure or compulsion. We do it joyfully with our hearts as worship to the Lord. It's a way of saying we trust God with our stuff, and we believe that God could use our resources to make a difference in the lives of others. And so we don't pass a bucket or a plate in the depths of COVID, so, but there are a number of ways that you could worship by giving. So in, if you're sitting in-house with us this morning, there's a little uh, offering envelope in the seat back in front of you. You can place your offering in that. And if you like, you could place your offering, you could place the envelope in our uh, secure giving boxes. There's several on the walls here in the worship center and one near the exit, but there's also electronic ways to give a giving kiosk in the hallway uh, with our website, churchontrail.org. Uh, click Give. You can uh, text to give and Venmo. So these are different ways that we can worship through giving. And, and what we like to say here on the trail is that our, our generosity and our obedience 
to the scriptures in giving of offerings and tithes. Uh, our generosity fuels and drives ministry. And so all the different things that God has called us to do as a church, uh, it's the generosity that fuels that. One of the things, and we like to mention just a few of the different ministries that we're involved in, uh, and one of the things you hear us talk about from time to time is our homeless ministry called M2540. And that's a, that's a ministry that started here in our church in 2015. And now uh, the, the outreach to the, Colum- to the Columbus and, and our region's homeless community has many churches involved and multiple organizations. So it's an amazing thing. How many of you guys are blessed and just so glad that we're a part of reaching the homeless community and ministering to them? Isn't that a cool thing that God does through our church? You know, and it's not because we're awesome. It's just because God is awesome. And he uses our generosity to do that. And we do that not a few times a year, you know, or just occasionally on certain events to reach out and minister to the homeless community. But we're there every single week, more than once a week. Uh, that ministry is, is reaching out to the community. So thank you for your generosity, your obedience. It's just one example of how God uses our resources to, to bless others. So let's have a prayer of blessing over our offering that will be given right now and in the week ahead. And then we'll proceed with the rest of our gathering. So join me in prayer, if you will. Lord, we thank you for this morning. This has been, so far, Lord, the, the worship experience has been great. And, and you promised that every time we gather in your name, that you would show up in a really specific and particular way. And we have sensed your presence today. And we're blown away by it. We're grateful. We're thankful, Lord, for what we sang a few moments ago, that when Jesus appears, when Jesus comes on the scene, he changes everything. And that lives are healed and hope is found and chains can fall. Thank you, God, for that. Now, Lord, we ask that you would bless the offering that's about to be given and be given throughout the week here in person and and virtually. God, we do it as worship. And we ask you to use our resources to touch other people's lives. We thank you that you allow us to be a part of it. Now, Lord, we just turn our attention now to hearing your word. And so we ask in this next bit of time that you would open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes. And we ask you to give us courage to respond when you show us stuff and when you speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning. Who is, hey, flip back to that other picture real quick. Who is like the little child with the gray beard in the middle? <laughs> um, my name's Ed Griffin I'm one of the pastors on our staff here at Church on the Trail. Um, I want to go over two kind of quick things before we jump into the message. One is this event, we, and you can roll through them now, it's fine. Uh, but um, we, had, we had an event yesterday at, at the M2540 building on 6th Avenue, and Jonathan, who's sitting over here, helped. He put it together. Um, super big heart for the Lord and heart for the community, and he's got some buddies who are, uh, are professional football players, um, one for the Cowboys, the Jaguars, a couple of free agents, and, uh, and so that's three of those guys along with Nikki. That's the guys from yesterday. And they were signing autographs in exchange for bug spray or, or hygiene items or whatever. And at the end of the, and they got, you know, big hearts 
uh, for the Lord, big hearts for the community, and all. And those guys are one of the guys is here, Walter uh, Palmore right there. Um, I told you I wasn't going to make you speak, but I could call you out. Um, anyway, plays for the Cowboys, but they are, these guys are from Columbus. They got hearts for our community and hearts for the Lord, and it made a difference. You know, they're making a difference in the community along with this ministry makes a difference in the community. Y'all, that is what being the hands and feet of Christ, unity, churches working together, that's what happens. We raised some money for the roof. We raised, I mean, there was, uh, in some of the pictures, there was just stacks of stuff, of bug spray and toothbrushes and toothpaste. And at the end of the day, uh, the community's getting served because people have a heart for the Lord. So it's a cool thing. That was yesterday. Um, and then the second thing I want to tell you is last week we had the spur of the moment kind of uh, worship outside down at the church property thing. And it was kind of ironic that Richard was, when he did the welcome last week, standing outside under a blue sky in the beauty of that property saying that we were going to do Easter inside. Cause when he said, and it just was like, why are we doing this? And, and everybody had such a good time. It was such a worshipful experience that we're regrouping and we're going to do Easter out there uh, in, in a few weeks. So it'll be a great, beautiful, and in one service uh, at 1030 on Easter, you know, we'll have a bunch of more chairs than we had last week. That does increase our need for people to serve, people to volunteer. So we need people to help set up and take down and just kind of help that day. There's a sign-up sheet out there, or you can email info at churchonthetrail.org. But we do need more volunteers than we would have needed inside. So that got the administrative sort of stuff out of the way. So last week, y'all, was the first message in the last series as we've walked through Romans literally since last May. And this series that started last week, we'll be in it a couple more weeks. Uh, the name of the series is Perfectly One. And, and the name is Perfectly One because the Lord's church, when we're fulfilling his purpose, when we're filling the, for ful- fulfilling the purpose that he's designed for us, then the church is absolutely is perfectly one. We're united, we're unified around the essentials. We display the freedom that we have in Christ. We display that appropriately. And we rally around each other and we welcome each other and we accept each other in love and in grace. And so we were in Romans 14 last week and we talked at length about unity. We talked about building each other up and not tearing each other down. We talked about, uh, about showing consideration for one another and not condemnation for each other. We talked about uh, about welcoming each other rather than rejecting each other. Today we're going to be in Romans 15, at least at the beginning, uh, the first 13 or 14 verses of Romans chapter 15. And, and, and it is really, y'all, it's a continuation of, of the thoughts in Romans 14. It's almost like that chapter 15 shouldn't really have started yet because the beginning of 15 is really a continuation of chapter 14 and it pinpoints... It circles, it highlights, it underlines the, the marks of a strong church, the tattoos of a, small, of, a, of a strong church. And for all of us, after we walk through this passage today, after we dig in and, and we get our arms around it a little bit, we, we can't ever claim that we don't know what our duty is within the body of Christ. Every single believer's part 
in building and, and making the church strong and vibrant and healthy is spelled out at the beginning of Romans 15. So that's our little backdrop for today. Okay, you got that? That would be a, a prompt for you to say, yes, we got that. Okay. I want to give you a disclaimer for, about, for what I'm about to say. And I'm about to speak about something for which I don't have firsthand experiential knowledge. Y'all know what experiential knowledge is? That's the kind of knowledge that you have from experiencing personally the issue, experiencing the matter, experiencing the topic, or experiencing the condition for which one is about to speak. And so I've never, ever experienced personally the condition that I'm about to speak about. But I'm told that when a woman is in labor, that she's hurting, that it is, that it is, she's in pain, excruciating pain, actually, that Susan says was completely my fault. And, and in, in, that, in that situation, that labor situation, no one ever knows exactly how long that pain is going to last, which I'm told that also is somehow my fault. But anyway, y'all, a husband is there in the delivery room. A husband is there in the, in the birthing room. And he's holding her hand and he's wiping her forehead and he's patting her on the back. Actually, let me say it this way. He's lovingly and gently and compassionately holding her hand. And he's lovingly and he's gently and he's compassionately dabbing the sweat drops off her forehead, right? And he's lovingly patting her on the back. That's all the dude brings to the table. That's all, that's all we bring to the table. He's limited, extremely limited, I'm told, over the years. But you know what? Holding her hand doesn't change the pain. Holding her, patting her back, it doesn't remove the pain. It doesn't, but he's there to comfort her. He's there to comfort her. And seriously, he is there to comfort her. And seriously, it does, I'm also told, that that does, it doesn't remove the pain, but it, it helps to make that pain more bearable because the husband is there loving on his wife and patting her back and holding her hand so it helps to make that pain that doesn't go away, but it makes it bearable. But here's what's so beautiful, y'all. God is birthing something in the life of every believer on the planet. And he wants every believer, all of us, to comfort one another. He wants us to lock arms together. He wants us to hold hands. He wants us to pat each other on the back. He wants us to wipe sweat off our forehead when there's sweat off our forehead. He wants believers to rally around and comfort and encourage other believers while we're going through the birthing process that he has for us. So y'all, Romans 15, it gives us four or five marks of a strong, healthy, vibrant church. Let me give you the first one. The first one is this, that the strong bear the failures or the weaknesses of the weak. Now remember, Romans 14 kind of defines what the weak and the strong are. First one of, of Romans 15, we who are strong, remember, remember the strong or the mature. It's not a, there's not condemnation of the weak because the weak and the strong are all believers because remember, Romans is written to believers. 
Romans is not written to unbelievers. Romans is written to the Roman church, the body of believers in Rome. And so he says, we who are strong, the strong ones are the ones that are mature in the faith. The strong are those who understand the freedom that they have in Christ. And so he says, it's they that have an obligation, an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 2 says, let each of us please his neighbor for his neighbor's good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So in a strong church, in a healthy church, in a vibrant church, the strong bear the weaknesses of the weak. And chapter 14 told us last week, told us how, how does it describe the weak? They, they're immature in their faith. They judge, they gripe, they whine, they criticize, they condemn, they get legalistic, and they, they are all about the do's and the don'ts, and they, on some sort of a level, they, they feel like the things they do are going to save them. Even though they may not confess that, they act as if all of this list of do's and don'ts is what is going to save them. And so Paul tells us, you know, of course, that, that the strong now, the strong should tolerate rather than to criticize the weak. The mature should not criticize the weak. The strong should, should endure the irritation sometimes that's caused by the way uh, the immature act or the things that they do or say. Now, the strong shouldn't do that. Uh, the mature shouldn't do that begrudgingly. They do, shouldn't do it spitefully. They should do it in honor of the Lord. Like the strong should support the weak the way that a mother supports a child, the way that a mother carries a child, and that would be in love. Well, how is it that we can do that? Look at verse 2. Paul says in verse 2, we can do that by pleasing his neighbor, pleasing his neighbor for his neighbor's good, to build his neighbor up. You don't want to pray, Lord, let me live for the good of her, for the good of him. Lord, let me live for, for, for his sake. No matter what it is that I want, regardless of, Lord, of the things that I may want to eat or the things, regardless of the things I may want to drink or the, the movie, Lord, that I may want to go see or the, the, the things that I may want to buy, Lord, regardless of all that, if that stuff, Lord, is going to be a stumbling block for my brother or sister, Lord, you give me the power not to do it. Allow me to help and support and encourage for their sake. Lord, for their sake so they can grow in you. Amen. Think about that. If I'm living for his or her sake, I'm living for his or her sake so he or she can grow and mature in the Lord. And the greatest example, the greatest pattern, we have the greatest pattern of that. When it comes to denying self and living for another, and that's Jesus, y'all. Jesus Christ himself. Verse 3 says he did not please himself. And then Paul quotes David in Psalm 69 and says the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus clearly didn't live for himself, clearly didn't live to please himself. Think about the night he was, he was betrayed. It's Matthew chapter 26. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. Scholars, theologians call that the agony in the garden. And so Jesus is in the garden. And do you, think, do you not think that he knew what was fixing to happen? 
Like, of course he knew what was fixing to happen. Did he know how bad it was going to be, how rough it was going to be, how horrific it was going to be? You know, you look at pictures and art and you see Jesus all clean up on a cross with a little crown kind of just sitting on his, on his head. No, he, that is not the way it was. He was beaten mercilessly. Did that sneak up on him? No, he'd been telling his guys for three years that stuff was going to happen. So he knew. So that agony in the garden was shown of agony in the garden. And so what does he say when he is praying, sweating blood? What does he say? Let me tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me no matter what. That is not what he said. What did he say? He said, Dad. He said, if there's another way we can do this, because it is not going to feel good. It's not going to be pleasant. He said, if there's another way that we can do this, let's do it another way. But not my will, but your will. Total million percent selflessness. That is the perfect pattern, the perfect example for me and you, for pleasing others, for thinking about others rather than ourselves. That is a life-changing point. If you can get, if, if I can get, if we can get our arms around and really understand that, it's a life-changing way of looking, uh, it's life-changing lenses to put on and look at life through. A, a serious believer, an authentic believer, a genuine believer stops asking if questionable behavior is right and moral, but asks, is the behavior going to build up and edify and strengthen my brother or sister in Christ? Will it edify my brother or sister in Christ? Because if it will, then you can take it to the bank that it's right and that it's moral. So number one, in a vibrant, healthy church, the strong have got the backs of the weak. The strong are not hammering the weak. The strong has their back. We want them to grow in Christ. We're loving on them, not condemning them. We're not pointing fingers at them. We're helping them grow. Number one, number two, in a strong church, everybody studies the Bible. Everybody's digging into the word. Look at verse four. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures that we may have hope. In simple terms, verse four gives us a glimpse into why God gave us his word, into why, uh, into, into why God has protected and guarded his word and guarded the, the trustworthiness of this book for several thousand years, that you can trust that what you read today is what was written, you know, two and three and four thousand years ago. It gives us a glimpse into that, that the Bible was written for our instruction, that it was written for teaching that it was written for edification, for direction, for guidance. In, in the words in, in, in verse 4, um, they, they, they have a strong sense of, of the Scripture being the living, breathing, organic Word of God. And the Scripture stirs up three, maybe more, but three things, three things in a believer. Number one is this. The scriptures stir up uh, endurance or patience in a believer. It stirs up, the scriptures stir up encouragement and comfort. What is needed to comfort and encourage a believer? If you need it, the scripture will provide it. 
When you need encouragement, the Scripture will provide it. This is the primary way that the Lord speaks to us today. It's through, the, through His Word. It's through His Word. And, and, and when you are being tempted, when the devil's all up in your ear, this is where you go. What did Jesus do in the desert? devil's tempting him. He fought it with the Word of God. So it doesn't matter what kind of temptation. It doesn't matter whatever it is in your life when you need encouragement. Open up the Bible app on your phone. Pick up the Scripture. Start reading. Dig into the Word of God. It is the best defense against temptation because it connects you with the author, right? It connects you with the author when you dig into his Word. Y'all, strong churches love, just love, 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 love the Word of God. Love the truths in the book. Love the truth claims that, that grow out of the book. Love hearing the truths proclaimed from a, from a stage. Love hearing the worship team lead, uh, lead us into worshiping the, the Lord through truth and through scriptural proclamation in songs. Love studying it. Love digging in it. Y'all, let me tell you something that reminded this last week, something that reminded me of that, something that happened several years ago. And it was in 2007. I had a flip phone. It was cool. Raise your hand if you had a flip phone. Now, don't raise your hand if you still have a flip phone. But, but if you had a flip phone, they were, it was a rocking little flip phone. It just took, you know, 15 minutes to type my name because you got to go through all the letters, you know. But anyway, I had this flip phone, 2007, I think it was a Samsung flip phone, and I just hoop it out, you know, flip it out, and, but then I started having problems with it, and, and the, I, about that time was when I think the iPhone came out about 2007, and I, Apple had just introduced it, and I go to the store, um, and I wanted to see about my flip phone, and I was thinking about getting an iPhone, but that iPhone cost a gajillion dollars or something, and I, we couldn't afford it, but they put us on some kind of payment plan. Ultimately, it probably cost about $3,000 because of the payment plan or something, but I got me one. And I walked out of the store, you know, or I walked in the store, and I showed them my flip phone. I said, I want to get this thing, and, and I walk out with the latest and, and the greatest, this iPhone, this first-gen iPhone, and they send, my, they send my number over to the new to the new iPhone, and I'm good to go, and I'm a reasonably intelligent guy and a reasonably tech-savvy guy, so I don't need, I, I could figure out how to use that iPhone myself. At least I thought I could just do it on my own. I could do it on my own. I didn't need no help. I don't need nobody to help me. I just figured it out on my own because I'm, I'm half, I got half a brain at least, and I'll figure it out on my own. But about a month later, I noticed this book, this small book inside this black box. You know, the iPhone's at first came in a black box. Now they're in a white box, but it was in a black box. And there was a book in there. And I hadn't looked at that book before, but I decided to thumb through that book. And I was blown, absolutely blown away at all the stuff that that phone can do. Way beyond my expectations, because at least at that time, a phone for me was to make and receive calls. Just the basics. It was just the basics. So, so as I started reading this book, this book that was inside this box, I found that this phone had offered so much more than just the basics. But without reading that book, without digging in that book, without studying that book, without, yes, praying over that book, I wouldn't have known that. I had to dive into the book, and I realized at the end of the day, y'all, I realized that book 
was the creator's manual. It's the creator's manual. He created it, so he wrote the book about it. I probably ought to read the book about the dude that created the iPhone. And that light bulb went off, and it made me dig even deeper into that book. And I discovered there was so much more than I had ever imagined. You also in a strong, healthy, vibrant church, everybody's loving the Word of God and digging into the Word of God and, and studying the Word of God because in a, in a strong, healthy, vibrant church, they realize that it's the Creator's manual. The author of life wrote the book. We ought to be digging in it. And in a strong church, people do dig in it, do study it, do pray over it, and love it, love it, love it. So that's number two. Number three is this. In a strong, healthy church, everybody is working towards harmony. Everybody's working for harmony. Look at verse five. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in a strong, healthy church, in the body of Christ, everybody is working towards harmony. When there's so many differences and, and different, different ideas, different kinds of people, we've got to constantly be intentionally working towards being of one mind. Well, how can a church do that? How can a church with diff different people and, and diverse personalities reach a place of, of harmony or a place of one-mindedness? If you look at these verses, 5 and 6, they're a prayer. They're a prayer of Paul's. If Paul starts a verse off with may the God blah, 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 or may God or may Christ Jesus, it's a prayer. It's a prayer. And so he had just, says that, he had just said that the endurance and the comfort uh, necessary to live for God was going to come from the scriptures. Now he says they're going to come from God. And in fact, he says that this God that he's talking about is the God of endurance and the God of encouragement. So me and you, as Christians, we can secure that, that endurance, that patience, that encouragement, that comfort from both the Lord and from his word. From both the Lord and from his word, because that's how he speaks to us. And it is cool, these things that Paul's talking about, they, they're in sync if we know and begin to understand and begin to grow in the endurance and, and encouragement of God, then we're probably going to be bearing each other's failures. We're going to be supporting each other. We're going to be helping and caring for one another. And if all of that's happening, the odds skyrocket that we will be of one mind, that there'll be harmony. And again, Jesus Christ is the perfect pattern of that the perfect pattern of endurance, the perfect pattern of, of comfort and of encouragement, of those kind of feelings, harmonious feelings between God and man. He was always faithful to his Father. What did he say in the garden? Not, your, not my will but yours. He was always staying close with the Father. He was always going out and praying and getting alone with the Father. He was always fulfilling the Father's ministry to the ultimate degree. He always experienced the comfort and the encouragement of the Father. He was always of one mind with the Father, always working towards bringing every person into harmony with the Father. And the purpose of that, look at verse 6, the purpose for harmony in the church is striking. 
verse 6 says, so that together, together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To glorify him. That's why we're created. That's why we're saved is to glorify God. He longs for our worship. He longs for our praise. That's the very reason that he created us. I want you to hear this. Hear this loud and clear. A divided church cannot worship God. A divided divided church cannot glorify God. A divided church is useless to him because a divided church can't bring him glory. A church has got to be of one mind and one mouth. If we want to worship him, if we want to bring glory to him, we've got to be of one mind and one mouth. And it's clear, we've got to be in harmony. We've got to work towards harmony so that we can really fulfill the very purpose of our existence, which is to glorify him. So this third mark, this third tattoo of a strong church is that we are all together striving and working towards harmony. And then fourth, in a strong, healthy church, everybody, everyone accepts one another without discrimination, without discrimination of any sort of kind. Look at verse 7. Therefore, therefore points us back those first six verses, everything he said. Therefore, because of that, welcome one another. And not just welcome one another, but welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Again, we've got a pattern. Why? For the glory of God, Paul says. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jew, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And he did that in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, the Jews and then the Gentiles. Opposite ends of the spectrum. No discrimination. And then Paul says in verse 9, as it is written, he's going Old Testament, says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, he goes Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. He says, The root of Jesse will come. Somebody tell me, who was Jesse? Who was Jesse's son? Jesse's son was David. Whose line is the Savior in? David's line. So who's the root of Jesse? Jesus Christ is the root of Jesse. That's who Isaiah's talking about 800 years before. Root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him, Isaiah says, but Paul's quoting, in him will the Gentiles hope. There's no strong church, there is no discrimination. And that word welcome in verse 7, it means to, to, to take to oneself, to receive to oneself, to, to accept a person as a friend, the closest of friends, not just a friend, but, but the closest of friends with the most caring kindness and compassion. We should receive and we should welcome and we should accept one another with open arms. Now, don't hear this wrong. We don't accept sin. So don't walk out of here and say, and he said we should accept sin. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hate the player, right? We accept the person. We welcome them. We accept them. We help them to grow. We help them to mature. Every one of us is a sinner, y'all. I was the most wretched alive. Like, if he saved me, are you kidding? 
So we should accept and we should welcome. Open arms and the closest of ties, y'all. And once again, where, who's the pattern? Who's the example? The greatest example ever in Jesus. He himself received us. And Paul says, welcome as he welcomed you. Well, why? For the glory of God, Paul says. So therefore, believers, we got to receive each other so that God can be glorified through the, our lives and through the church, through the body of Christ. You know, Jesus received the Jews and he ministered to them. And he did it for the truths of Scripture, for the truths of God, to confirm and to fulfill the promises that were made over a thousand years. Think about how, how judgmental and how prejudicial the Jews were, and yet Christ came and he received and he ministered to them. Why? It was for the truths of God and to fulfill Scripture. And then Jesus received the Gentiles 180 degrees the other way, the pagans, and he came to shower them with God's mercy that they may praise God for the mercy. Remember, he, he received the Gentiles, he received the pagans, he ministered to them when they were living in the most wicked, depraved, indulgent lifestyle imaginable. And Scripture foretold all of that. Paul quotes it. Verse 9, he's quoting Psalm 18, and he tells the that the Gentiles would have the gospel preached to them. Verse 10 says that the Gentiles would rejoice with God's people, and it's quoting Deuteronomy 32. Verses 11 and 12 quote Isaiah that the Gentiles would praise God and would trust Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. Christians, authentic, genuine Christians, should receive one another the way that Jesus receives us. Jew, Gentile, black, white, blue, green, purple, male, female, slave, free, like whatever. Like no person is too anything for us to accept and welcome. You can fill that blank in with anything. Nobody is too homeless for us to, to reject and to not welcome. Nobody is too black. Nobody is too white. Nobody is too blue. Nobody is too mean. Nobody's too anything. Nobody is too imperfect for us to reject and not welcome. Nobody. Don't care. Like, don't care. We are all limping on some level. We are all, it's the battle cry of this church. It's been it for 10 years. No perfect people are allowed. And if y'all are here, it means you're imperfect. And that's just, that's, that's God's kingdom. What a beautiful image of the kingdom of God when imperfect people come together and it brings glory to the Father. That is the, that is the most beautiful image. We sang about that. And we do all of it. The welcome and the accept, and we do all of that for the glory of God of God. That's this huge theme really through all of scripture. So the fourth mark tattoo whatever you want to call it of uh, uh, you know of the you know what I'm going to give you a little example of um, of nobody being too whatever. 4 or 5 years ago one of my buddies on the street Met him five and a half years ago. Lived in a camp on Third Avenue in the woods. 
uh, 3rd Avenue and about 23rd Street. And he's telling me his story, and I think about it all the time because it makes me want to cry. Every time I think about it, this dude goes into church. He's unsheltered homeless living in the woods. So he pretty much looks like that. He ain't clean, probably hadn't had a shower in six, eight, ten days. He walks into church. doesn't matter what church he walked in. But he walks in the door. Door's down there. He walks in the church. One of the leaders in the aisle, two, like two sections of seating, one aisle. He walks in the church door. A leader in the church is back here walking towards him. And as the guy, as my buddy, walks towards him, the leader in the church walks up, puts his arm around him, turns him around, and walks him right out the front door. That's not what Christians do. Like, are you kidding me? That is not what Christians do. We walk up there, put our arm around him, get him a cup of coffee, and let him sit wherever he wants to sit. Right? That's what believers do. So the fourth mark is we're all, we accept each other. We don't accept the sin, we accept each other. Either we're all created in the image of God or we're animals. I'm not an animal. All of us are created in the image of God. Finally, the last mark, the last tattoo of a healthy church would be that everybody is filled, everybody's filled by the God of hope. Verse 13. And you know, verse 13, I think, is the pinnacle of Romans. You know, all of, after verse 13 of chapter 15, the rest of chapter 15 and chapter 16 is really Paul's travel plans and a greeting. I think all and believe that all of the letter to the church in Rome peaks in, in verse 13. I think the whole, all of it peaks in verse 13. Listen to this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Our God is the God of hope. Our God is the author of hope. Our God is the builder of hope. He's the, the, the beginner of hope. He's the foundation of hope. He finishes hope. It is all about hope. Hope is this massive, massive theme throughout Scripture. And this verse, just like verses 5 and 6, is a prayer of Paul. He, you can almost hear him agonizing. You know, may the God of hope fill you with peace and joy, not period, as you believe, as you believe. Hope, joy, peace, they cannot be possessed apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. They can't. They can't. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is bound by time. Happiness is, is, is very much dictated by circumstance. Joy doesn't care about the circumstance, right? Joy is a different animal than, than happiness. Joy is this amazing, ginormous inner gladness. Joy is a deep-seated pleasure that is immovable. It's a depth and an assurance and a confidence that lights on fire, here's a cheesy word, lights on fire a cheerful heart. And a cheerful heart becomes cheerful behavior. It's joy. Like you stop worrying about stuff. Scripture encourages that so much. It doesn't mean be stupid, but joy Joy doesn't, joy and worry are almost like opposites. 
joy. And this God of hope that Paul's talking about provides peace. And the meaning of peace here in Romans 15 is striking. It doesn't mean escapism. It doesn't mean the absence of trouble. Peace doesn't mean the absence of trouble. Peace doesn't, <clears throat> peace doesn't mean the denial of, of the existence of problems. Peace doesn't mean even the ability to, to keep from facing reality. That's not, that's not at all what Paul is talking about when he's talking about peace. It's a sense and a knowledge that, that you have been restored in a relationship with the God of the universe and you're no longer separated or alienated from him. It is a peace that is so unexplainable. It's a peace that comes from knowing that you're reconciled. And I, these are some churchy words, man, but you're reconciled. You, there was a rift between you and God and Christ Jesus reconciled and fixed and repaired that separation. And you're accepted by God. You're accepted by him and, 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 and that peace, because that peace comes through what? Through believing. It comes through believing. So now you're pleasing God. Well, how can you be pleasing God? Because now you're, because you're wrapped, when you believe, you're wrapped you're wrapped in his son's righteousness. And so when the Lord is looking at me, he doesn't see my wretchedness. He doesn't see my dirt. He doesn't see any of that filth. You know what he sees? He sees his son. Like how beautiful is that? That is a peace that you, oh, you just, it's unexplainable. It's unexplainable. I can look death in the face and say, bring it on. And I grew up my whole life petrified of death. I'm not trying to go down to Aflac and jump off the roof, so don't get me wrong. Y'all, but I don't fear death anymore. I may fear the manner in which I get there. I don't know. I sure don't fear death anymore. I can look it in the face. Like I can look it in the face. And so Paul says that, that here that we, we would believe and that we would be filled with joy and peace in the end of verse 13 says, tells us why. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And so I believe verse 13 is really the benediction of the letter. It's really the end of the content of Romans. Hope. That word shows up four times here at the end. Verse 4, that through the scriptures we might have hope. And then in verse 12, that in, in Jesus Christ that the Gentiles would find hope. And verse 13, Paul calls God the God of hope. And then at the end of, of verse 13, Paul prays that that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would just flourish in hope, that we would waller all up in hope, that when that, that robe of righteousness that Christ wraps around us when we believe, there's just hope all over it. It's, it's hope. And when the scripture speaks of a believer's hope, it's different than, than what the world says hope is, than the way that the world defines hope. The hope that the world looks at, the way the world defines hope is I hope I get this job, you know, I, I, I hope I get married someday, I hope I make an A in this class, I hope I pass this class. It's just, there's just some desire or just some, or just some want. I kind of hope this will come to pass. That is not how Christian hope works, y'all. The hope a believer has is a sure thing. It is a done deal. What did Jesus say on the cross? He said it's finished. Well, what was finished? The work that he came to do is finished. Reconciliation was made on that cross. It's done. It's finished. It's almost like 
that hope is almost, it's almost like it's looking back and it's past tense. It's already done. Guarantee. It is a guarantee. How can it be so absolute and so assured? Because it's an inward possession. Our hope is based on the presence of a holy God spirit living and dwelling inside of us. Do you really, really believe that when you get saved that the God of the universe is living inside of you? How can you be the same if that's true? Caitlin was singing the song. He changes everything. He does change everything. He changes the countenance on your face. I have a friend that we met in this church about a year and a half ago. She got saved about two months ago. Her face looks different. I had somebody tell me that when I got saved. They said, your face looks different. I said, I vote for Matthew McConaughey, but that didn't play out well. <laughs> but the countenance on your face looks different. You can't be the same. When you go from lost to found, you can't. Hope is such a difference. It's such a delineator between the lost and, and the found. We can only have that hope only by the Spirit of God who dwells inside of us. So to a genuine believer, hope is this absolute assurance, this absolute guarantee that the things that are promised but yet unseen are real. Hope is like a deposit. It's a de hope is like a deposit on the future. The Holy Spirit is like a deposit on the future. Spirit lives inside of me. Do you think hope is going to exist in eternity? No, I don't need hope if I'm sitting in Jesus Christ's lap with my arm around him, his arm around me. I don't need hope anymore. It's the fruition of the hope that I have in this world. But the hope allows me to get through whatever. I can face death. You can face the death or the illness of a wife or a husband or a child or a parent. You can, you can face all the, all the trials of life because you have hope because you know that you know that you know that we win. We win. When Jesus said it's finished, we win. You think the devil knows that when Jesus said it's finished that we win? Take it to the bank, he knows that. He's just trying to kill as many people as he can between that and this. And he's not omniscient. He don't know everything. He don't know all of your thoughts. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. He's not all over the place all the time. Don't stop giving the devil more due, more than he's due. Stop doing that because he's not. Does he whisper lies in your ear? Yeah, because he wants to eat you. That's what he seeks around the world trying to eat us. That sounds crass, but that's what he's doing. He's trying to wreck everything that happened on that cross. Don't let him do it because we win. We win. And our hope is, is this guarantee that we know, that we know, that we know, that we win. Y'all, hope is such a deal. You know, as a dude, I'll leave you with this, kind of this quote from a guy, Aristides, a Greek writer in in early in the second century in about in 125 AD about 20 25 ish years after the apostle John died and this guy is writing so this is not that far removed from the cross time wise but he's writing to a friend of his and he's writing about this new religion I hate to even say it that way but this new religion 
called Christianity, which really wasn't called Christianity. It was called the way. They were believers in the way. Um, but he's writing to his friend about this, and he's trying to explain to his buddy about the, the success, the amazing success in the very face of persecution, in the very face of people getting hammered for their belief, in the, getting hammered for Christ. It's spreading, and it's growing, and people are getting saved, and he's trying to explain that to his buddy. And, he, and he, here's a sentence from one of his letters. I'm going to quote it. He says, if any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they, the Christians, rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving as if he were actually setting out from one place to another nearby. As if he were actually, really, in reality, setting out from one place to another. We win, y'all. That's hope. There's hope all over that. There's hope. It's no joke when I say you can look death in the face and say, bring it on. I, I used to be so scared of death. I, all Until I was 37 years old, go to a funeral, I would be weeping, mourning, and not that weeping is wrong at a funeral. That's not what I'm saying. But I was weeping out of fear. Even as a child, all growing up, like all... That, I go to a funeral now and I'm like if that person is a believer oh my gosh when you say they are in the arms of the Lord they really are they really are it is real like he is real and he does change everything and there's such hope in that and I'm telling you man if you're watching or if you're here and you don't have that hope and you've never lived in that hope and you don't have that peace it's seconds away. Like it is seconds away, and that offer is there all the time. And it's not, it's simple. The gospel is simple. It's so crazy because it's simple, and yet it is so hard for men to cross through the, the pride and to say, I am a sinner. Doesn't mean I'm an axe murderer, I'm a sinner, and I am in need of rescue. And he will rescue you, man. He will rescue you. It is just so, so simple. I'm telling you, if you've never done that, if you've never entered that place of hope, if you've never felt the peace that, that Paul says is unexplainable, it is so simple. It, I, I, I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. And I turn towards the Lord. And I believe that he died on a cross. I confess it with my mouth. He died on a cross to save me, and he rose three days later. And I believe that. I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. It's a historical fact. I have no doubt. And when you have no doubt, that's that hope. Y'all, it's that hope. So I'm telling you, I wish you could do it right now if you've never done that. But for sure, don't go to bed tonight and let your head hit the pillow and go to sleep without considering that offer. And I'm not going to ask folks to raise hands. I'm not doing all that. I'm saying if you have never done that, pray this prayer with me in your mind out loud whisper whatever Lord today is the day that I want the hope today is the day that I want that peace and Lord ultimately Lord I I confess that I'm a sinner and I confess that I am in need of rescue 
And Lord, I believe that you died on that cross to save me. That sin had to be paid for, and I believe that you paid for it. Even though I don't deserve it, and I acknowledge, Lord, that I don't deserve it, but you did it anyway. And I believe that you rose three days later, walked straight out of that grave alive for me, undeserving, wretched me. Lord, save me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, man, if that happened to you, if you did that, if you said that, if you meant that, you can't say it, not mean it, but the Lord will save you in that moment. Our prayer team is gonna be back there in the corner. They would love to pray with you. They'd love to pray for you. We wanna help you. We wanna walk in unity. We wanna put our arms around you. We wanna wipe the sweat off your forehead, pat your back, hold your hand, lock arms with you. Just let us know that happened. There's a connection card in the seat back in front of you. If you're watching online, you can fill out the online connection card. Just let us know. Don't walk that journey alone. And if you're a Christ follower today and you got stuff going on, don't face it alone. We are all here to encourage and to build up each other. Turn it back over to worship team. Boundless. 
Thank you all once again for joining us this morning. Y'all have a wonderful week. We'll see you here next Sunday.